Welcome to ASME TechCast, bringing you the innovators, the innovations, and the issues that push the envelope of engineering. I'm Jeffrey Winters, Editor-in-Chief at Mechanical Engineering Magazine. And today we are here in ME Magazine World Headquarters Zoom call. And I'm joined by uh, John Kasowatz, a senior editor on the magazine and ASME.org. Hey, John, how are you doing today? Uh, just great, Jeff. Yourself? Uh, I'm not going to complain, not on the air at least. Um, anyway, we are here to talk about a few of the top engineering stories of 2022, as represented in the pages of Mechanical Engineering Magazine and ASME.org. At the start of 2022, I think everyone was looking forward to a quiet, uneventful year where the headlines would be dominated by meaningless fluff and silly flat, silly fads. You think you remember those, you know, Pet Rocks, Shark Week, whether their dress was blue and black or white and gold. Unfortunately, we got a year full of crises yet again. Um, I don't know. For me, probably the most important crisis of the year was the war in Ukraine, where a nuclear-armed power invaded a neighbor in an attempt to seize territory. We haven't seen anything like that in decades. One of the most fascinating parts of that war, at least for me, has been the new and innovative use of drones and small aerial vehicles, both big and small. We've seen hobbyist drones used for spotting artillery and large unmanned vehicle, military vehicles knock out tanks and attack warships. Heck, there's even a video of a drone dropping a grenade through the sunroof of a car. Now, as engineers look to the future, they see even more capable robots on the battlefield. One of those is the QUGV made by Ghost Robot. Robotics, a Philadelphia-based company. The QUGV, and they really need to come up with a better name for that, is a four-legged robot capable of scampering over all sorts of terrain. As Lena Zeldovich describes the robot in her article for the August-September issue of the magazine, quote, every now and then a particular, particular fragile patch of land disintegrates underfoot and the dog-shaped robot's hind leg falls through, throwing it off balance. But only for a second. The bot recovers quickly, riding itself and steadfastly continues the climb. After it reaches steady ground, it switches to a trot, just like a flesh-and-blood dog. When it paces along the street, it's easy to mistake for a live animal. Now... The secret to the QUGV's lifelike performance is in the motors controlling the legs. Instead of using sensors to gauge the state of the robot's limbs and use those signals to determine if the machine is slipping, the founders of Ghost Robotics use direct drive motors for each leg. Back drivability provides the actuators there with high force sensitivity, high, packed, high impact resistance, and quick adaptation to external forces. That essentially allows the robot to feel the surface through the motors themselves without having to rely on force sensors. And that makes the robots more robust and able to react more quickly. It's a pretty cool advance. But what got people's attention is its appearance at a defense industry trade show. A different company, not Ghost Robotics, mounted a remote-controlled rifle on the back of a QUGV, and suddenly everybody realized what a super-capable all-terrain robot could do on the battlefield. 
I mean, it's terrifying. And if you've seen a Black Mirror episode, you you your blood would run cold at, at seeing this thing. Now, Zeldovich wrote about all this, including the reactions uh, of ethicists in her article for us, War Dogs. It's a it's a great read and a bit of a chilling look at what might lie ahead. Well, there you have it. Hey, John. Very, uh, uh, very interesting, uh, Jeff. And 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 as we're recording this, I, I noticed in the morning in the morning news that the city of San Francisco is uh, apparently authorized its police department to use uh, something similar. Controversial, no doubt. Yeah, yeah there was a there was a. Um... A video when the NYPD here in New York um, tried to use one of those, and people were just—they were losing their their breakfast over seeing this thing uh, marching around on the streets. I mean, I and I don't blame them. It is—it's a scary-looking machine. It is. Um, all of that, of course, will continue to be developed over the course of uh, 2023 and, yeah. and and beyond. Yeah, I mean, t- t- I guess to me, what what's interesting is is sort of the giving machines like this the ai capability to go out and 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 use weapons autonomously i think that's something that that a lot of the ethicists that zeldovich was was talking to they they pointed to as as and and i would think oh shoot that's that's like a horrible thing we you don't want robots making the decision to uh, life and death decisions like that but as as the ethicists pointed out you know you know, people are capable of performing atrocities um, all on their own, and there's not really, uh, you know, it may be that that robots are are, are more humane in making those decisions because they're not really, you know, ruled by the same sort of uh, passions, as it were. Well, they they should be ruled by how they're programmed. Yeah, and um, and ethics, you know, ethics, ethics and engineering was one of the things that we. Uh, that we discussed uh, online this year. Um, we had uh, a couple of podcasts on the subject, but another one of the uh, another one of the big issues for the year, and and of course this will certainly go into next year and the year after that, and and into the next decade, um, is the continuing development of renewable energy and its integration into the electric grid. Um, now, the grid will continue uh, to be upgraded uh, to a smart grid, um, sending electricity to users, and uh, but also receiving kilowatts from decentralized sources. And storage is the key to all of this. And right now, long-term storage for a, a 10 to 12-hour period is not quite there, um, with the exception, of course, of of hydro pump storage systems, which have a long history of, uh, and, and a long and proven history. Uh, right now in the US, there's just shy of 30 gigawatts of capacity for this. Um, further development that uh, of those systems is limited, of course, uh, because the prime locations are already developed and and regulatory and siting issues limit further development of, of, of that. You need a lot of land to to build one of these, so uh, electric utilities are, are 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 looking at other technologies to uh, um, to fit the bill here. Um, lithium ion batteries are, of course, reliable and are getting progressively cheaper. But right now, they can only be counted on to deliver full power capacity for about four hours. 
Uh, that's not enough. Um, it's being further developed, however. Australia, for instance, is building a 300 megawatt plant uh, using batteries produced by Tesla. Uh, but there are other technologies being developed that are being looked at. Um, one, interestingly, is a gravitational system um, by the Swiss energy firm, by the Swiss firm called Energy Vault. It's based on the principles of pumped hydro, uh, but instead of waters, it uses um, 30 ton bricks. Its uh, software package raises the bricks using cranes uh, to an elevation uh, when power generation is high and then lowers them using gravity when power is needed. Uh, Energy Vault claims the system is economically viable for durations of four to 12 hours. And, and there is a system that uh, 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 a prototype that's being used uh, as we speak. Compressed air systems are another option. Uh, one is being developed in, in California where the state is moving to procure uh, a gigawatt of storage to compensate for the closing of a nuclear, uh, nuclear power plant. And there is also a movement to repurpose retired coal power plants for storage. Uh, one project under development uses molten salt. It's proof of concept, but it is, it is in the mix. As are flow batteries, um, vanadium has been the standard material used in their development, but because of sourcing issues, other less expensive systems are, are being worked on using zinc, for instance. And in the end, uh, utilities will likely use a mix of storage systems to meet their goals. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's really cool. I mean, now with with the lithium ion batteries, I know that I think in, in South Australia, as you mentioned, there there's a pilot project that that's being used and it's very very, you know, it, it's it's actually performing quite well. It seems, however, there's there's a um, there's a conflict between using these batteries for 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 energy storage on the grid and, and using them in cars. I mean, is there a way to sort of square that circle and uh, um, that, so that so that we're not double, you know, we're we're not creating a, a an energy shortage in lithium because we're we're trying to to, to use too many batteries. Uh, sourcing sourcing is going to remain an issue uh, going forward on this, but there are um, uh, and mo much of the uh, supply of lithium comes from um, uh, parts uh, places outside of North America, um, in uh, remote areas or in countries. Um, uh, 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 or in countries that are um, um, politically adversarial. You, you you found the right adjective there, John. Thank you. Uh, it's, so, it's funny, sort of unrelated to all this. I we had an article um, written by by an engineer um, this summer that talked about mining uh, lithium from the 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 brine of of geothermal wells. And it seemed as if that would be something, and and there's a, a apparently a huge source of that in Southern California. So maybe maybe if we can we can tap into that source, we have all the lithium we need. I don't know if we'll have all the lithium we need. Uh, there's 
uh, something in the works in Nevada, if I'm not mistaken, also. Uh, but there's work that's being done on um, um, producing uh, lithium uh, or sourcing it in other ways that would potentially dry, uh, uh, stabilize the prices, at least. Okay. Well, that's that sounds. You know, let's hope. Hopefully, we can get get to the the energy storage piece. Find find some way to to, to store the energy coming off, uh, coming intermittently from renewable energies because fuels are. You know, the, on the one hand, fuels are great because you can store them in tanks. You can have big piles of coal, but. Uh, you know, the, there can be fuel shortages. Um, one one story that was in the background of, of a lot of the others we've talked about, you know, this year, um, is the small scale energy crisis that hit. Um, you know, the the biggest precipitating factor of that was the war in Ukraine and the disruptions in Russian gas and oil supplies to the West. But you know, I was looking back on this, and prices were rising even at this time last year. Um, Gasoline prices jumped in the United States in 2021, and people were kind of, or even back then, sort of losing their 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 hat, um, talking about how it was the, the sign of the runaway inflation and the return to the bad old days of the 1970s. Um, I re- I remember the 1970s, so um, the and and gas lines and and inflation and and people didn't like that. Now there. Now, there was certainly some support to that view. I mean, according to the data compiled by the Energy Information Administration last year, regular grade unleaded gasoline was about $3 a gallon, and um, at least for the first part of the year. And then by by October, it got up to what people considered a lot, which was three thirty eight. dollars over over the course of this year, however, it it went up even more. I mean, it, it, uh, I think people were seeing um, five dollars a gallon gas, six dollar a gallon gas. Um, it was um, it 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 scared a lot of people, especially after spending the last couple of decades with with relatively cheap gasoline and buying gigantic SUVs. Um, now, of course, when I I first wrote about the, this problem in January, and then I kind of poo pooed it because you know you you look over the the course of, of of the past fifty years, prices go up, prices go down. Um, at least up until January, it was not a um, out of line for for what we'd seen in even in the recent past. The prices that we saw this summer were were unprecedented. Um, but it's you know, and so it, it was kind of interesting. But however, the prices have gone down. I haven't pumped. I don't have a car, so I am um, blissfully unaware of the price on a day to day basis. But I know that it's come down quite a bit from from the highs of the summer. Um, what what I'm what I do buy and what I'm kind of interested in more is, is natural gas. And it was kind of I, over the course of the year and with the supply disruptions, it was really interesting to, to see some of the um, some of the data that came out on it. The United States has has moved from being a a, a potential natural gas importer to an exporter. In fact, the liquefied natural gas that's coming from ports in Louisiana and Texas are helping bridge the gap in Europe that, that was facing the potential of very cold winter this year because of the disruption of, of natural gas from Russia. The um, another thing that I, which is and and that's sort of 
just boggling to me to, to think of the United States as a, as a fossil fuel exporter. Another thing that I, uh, that I ran across this year, and I thought that was really fascinating, is that we've, we've heard a lot about the, the shale revolution in, in natural gas and how that has, has you know, well, I mean, that's, that's why we, we can export, because we have more gas than we, we can use generally. But it turns out that, that the, the shale revolution is really just three in three places. There, there are a number, number of shale um, um, regions as, as you know, specified by the, the Energy Information Administration. But only three of them have actually increased over the past 10 years. The Appalachian region, which is basically running from New York through, uh, through Pennsylvania into Ohio and West Virginia, the Permian region in Western uh, Texas, and the Haynesville region that runs from Texas and into uh, to Northern Louisiana. Those places have, have gone up. The rest of the, the Bakken region and Darko, all these, plus the rest of the United States that, that is not shale gas, has all declined. If it weren't for the Appalachian, Permian, and Haynesville region, we would we would have less gas than we than we had before, even with all the the shale technology. So, and and in fact, I think I, I didn't do the numbers, but I think the Appalachian region by itself produces more gas than almost any other country on Earth. Um, so anyway, if 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 it was its own country, maybe maybe Appalachia would be hosting the World Cup. Uh, anyway, the uh, it, so I found it really interesting that that we have this uh, the supply crunch this year. Prices went up. People kind of you know freaked out. But in terms of natural gas, the United States is is really kind of a it become the Saudi Arabia of, of natural gas, and it, it, it's sort of an interesting turn of of events. Yes, I I agree with that uh, with that completely. Um, fracking uh, has been a um, I don't want to say a revolutionary technology, but it's uh, certainly been the technology that has boosted the uh, the oil and gas industry in the United States. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's it's a combination. Uh, I mean we call it fracking, but it's really a combination of of a couple of what used to be called unconventional um, oil uh, extraction technologies. Uh, um, probably for for shale, the most interesting thing is, is actually the horizontal drilling that can get through these these seams of, of shale um, and and exploit a lot of it. You know, sort of open up a lot of surfaces at once. And then of course the fracking breaks open that that, that rock. You put some profit in there to to keep it open, and then the, the gas that was had you know had been adhered to the the shale kind of rushes out. It's 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 very cool technology, um, and yeah, it is. I I think that revolutionized is probably an accurate term. I mean, I, th I think it, it without the advances from hydraulic fracturing and horizontal drilling. We would be in a much different place uh, in the energy world than we are today. I mean, we would we would definitely be talking about scarcity all the time, not just when there was a geopolitical event. Well, another place where uh, uh, energy is uh, noticeable is with uh, the production of electric vehicles, the changeover from the internal combustion engine to uh, electric motors is is uh, changing um, the manufacturing process as well as fuel consumption. And the supply chain issues uh, for that are 
just beginning to be noticed, um, and they're very real. Um, EV sales are increasing as manufacturers commit to their production and phase out the internal combustion engine. General Motors, for instance, will sell only electric vehicles by 2035, and other automakers who made uh, uh, prior announcements about that are, are all on the same path. But EVs are so much different from gas-fueled vehicles. Um, the often quoted uh, statistic is that there are three moving parts in a Chevy Bolt engine motor uh, compared to 113 in an internal combustion engine. So parts suppliers are in a difficult position um, having to adapt to all of this. And, and many of them are small operations, which makes it even, even more difficult. Large firms such as Eaton Corp, which makes propulsion systems, uh, are making the transition to, uh, to electric vehicles. And they're able to, produce, uh, uh, to throw hundreds of millions of dollars into this. The biggest change, of course, with EVs are batteries. Once again, we're talking about batteries. And automakers are either partnering with uh, battery manufacturers, such as Ford with South Korea's Blue Oval, or they're making them, uh, making them themselves, like Volkswagen, which spun off a separate company to make their, to make their own. Now, of course, during the transition from the internal combustion engine, there are still many parts that are needed for both types of vehicles. So uh, manufacturers of things like headlights, axles, and seats will have an easier go as compared to uh, someone who perhaps might be making exhaust systems. That will be a tough, uh, that will be a tough transition uh, for somebody that's, that still wants to uh, be in the auto manufacturing business. Propulsion systems are, of course, all moving electric. Eaton Corp, which I mentioned before, is is one firm that's going uh, that's going big into into their production. But another thing that's that's noticeable for for these for these vehicles is is the move away from mechanical systems. A lot of moving parts, of course, toward electronics toward computing and toward communications. We spoke with uh, earlier this year uh, in an article in the magazine, we spoke to uh, a fellow by the name of Ralph Kladke, who's the Chief Technology Officer for Transportation Solutions at TE Connectivity. And he said that the industries uh, that are traditionally in the combustion engine are, are not perfectly positioned to get in on the new computer what he called a computer on wheels because the complete architecture is changing. And he said it opens this, it opens the market up to completely new players. And he, he said the market right now is the wild west. Mm -hmm. And one of the big examples is, is Sony, best known for its uh, entertainment and electronics uh, systems. Um, they've been developing a prototype uh, vehicle um that is in partnership with Honda to develop uh, for sale by 2025 so rather than designing its own car sony is going to use honda's manufacturing expertise to produce vehicles with its technology entertainment options um and this is leading to autonomous driving which is another uh another topic entirely mm -hmm. so um going forward into into uh, into the next year, there there are certainly going to be more developments in this area.
Yeah. I mean, to me, uh, as a, as a true son of Indiana, I always look at it in terms of the, the, jobs that, that automobile automobile manufacturing provide um i my uh, uncles who work in the automobile industry my my brother my brother worked a couple of summers in in a uh, in an armature plant it's 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 really kind of interesting you know and to me a, a lot of those jobs have gone away over the past like 30 40 years um one of the one of the towns that that has always been associated with um the automobile industry is kokomo which you know, had engine casting and transmission plants. Um, and it was, and it's a kind of town that's been hard hit this year. However, it's interesting because Stellantis, which is, uh, you know, I always have to translate into to Chrysler and Dodge um, Stellantis um, and, and Samsung SDI announced that they were going to build a, a new lithium ion battery factory in, in Kokomo of all places. It, the, the, the town, so a lot of the, the towns that, and cities that have had um, setbacks because of the lack of, of uh, because of the drawback and drawdown in, in manufacturing jobs could see a resurgence um, through building these new parts. On the other hand, it, because there's a lot of these, these companies I mean, like St Sony or Samsung don't have existing ties to the Midwest, they might be siding their, their factories in all sorts of parts of the country. It, it's going to, the, the switch over from, from internal combustion engine cars to, to EVs, May scramble the the sort of the geography of of the automobile industry, and uh, it promises to do that. Uh, and it, of course, is also affecting um, uh, the existing uh, the existing manufacturing plants. And the automakers are are making the transition from uh, and retooling their factories to produce the electric vehicles. One big uh, case that stands out is the old General Motors plant in um, uh, Lordstown, Ohio, outside of Youngstown, which uh, uh, I, I believe upon its closing was the largest auto auto uh, manufacturing plant in the country, if not the world. Also had the largest uh, UAW uh, union. And so when that went out of business, it was big news. It made uh, the, the transition to the uh, uh, electric vehicle production, um, but uh, it's a much smaller operation. So um, uh, there's still uh, there's still going to be uh, there's still going to be a lot of transition uh, in um, in labor and in um, and in parts manufacturing as we go mm -hmm. as we go forward. We'll have to see how it goes. Um, you know, everyone talks about, you know, the future. They talk about jobs, but not not everyone who has a job. Uh, the, the geography of jobs in, in the present and the past are not going to be necessarily where where the jobs are in the future. And people in in back in the day, people would travel to, to new towns where there were, were jobs. People don't seem to want to do that as much anymore. We'll see what, what that pretends. John, thank you for coming into the uh, Mechanical Engineering World Headquarters today to, to talk with me about all this. Uh, it's been my pleasure, Jeff. Yeah. If you out there in podcast land would like to hear more great conversations on engineering topics, please subscribe to ASME TechCast on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, 
or whatever podcast platform you prefer. For all of us at ASME, I'm Jeffrey Winters wishing you a great rest of your day. Thanks.